0: Heavenly Father, we sing hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for salvation. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We come today. We thank you for Brother Scott, the choir, all of our musicians leading us to the throne of grace. We celebrate today. We thank you for your sweet presence with us today. As we honor Jesus, the Holy Spirit draws us to you and we thank you for that fellowship we have in knowing you. We come now, Lord, to this time in worship to hear the Word of God. As Brother Tim prayed earlier, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be good soil in our hearts, that we would receive the the seed of the Word of God, that it might make a change in our life for today. We're grateful for salvation. We're grateful. That you've changed our lives. We pray for those who are not saved, who do not know you as Lord and Savior, who do not live in the assurance of salvation, uh, but are living in self-deceit and self-righteousness and self-assurance. May today these words that we talk about today, though they're hard words, they're strong words, may we take them and apply them in our life today and so that we might truly understand what it is to be saved and have assurance certainty of our salvation while we live and while we prepare for death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, good morning. Good to see all of you. Find your place in First John. We'll be looking there today. First John. And if you are a guest, we are honored to have you. I'm Pastor Mike. Brother Tim mentioned the cards. It helps us. We just leave them on the chairs. It's a little easier for us, or you can call us on the phone number, but let us know. Please give us a record of your attendance. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to get to know you. Yes. If you fill the card out, yes, we'll call you and talk to you, but that full disclosure, that's what we'd like to do. So I hope that you'll uh, do that. And we'd love to get acquainted with you. If you're new to town and you're visiting with us and you're uh, coming. We're glad that you are here also. So we continue to look in 1 John today, and I'm thankful for Brother Ken uh, sharing with us today in the children's sermon. Sometimes children's sermons, you learn more than the other sermon, don't you? So he helped us today with assurance. Boys and girls, I'm glad you're here and you have your Bibles. It's always special to have our boys and girls in here in worship with us, with their moms and dads, grandparents, and we're glad you're here. But now, We all find our place in our Bibles in 1 John chapter number 2. Before we can understand what it means to have blessed assurance of our salvation, we must understand the danger of false assurance. Uh, I I certainly want to uh, be a pastor who preaches all of the Word of God. The reason why John's taking the time to talk about false assurance before he goes into detail about blessed assurance is because it is a sad thing to live your life thinking you are saved when you're not. So I want us to give this serious consideration today, and I'm going to begin by saying I have to say some things from the Word of God that are very hard today. They're very clear. They're very specific. I'm certainly not saying them to be ugly or mean or cruel in any way, but I want to be true, uh, to preach all of the Word of God. And so today we look at these words, and they're very sobering, And they're words that I hope you will truly take to heart. These words are for you personally. Uh, Yes, it's great if our neighbor hears them or you think of somebody else who needs to hear what's said today, but these words are for you. These words are for me. And so as we hear them today, we, we pray that God would forgive us of our sins so that we might receive his word as it's given to us today as we read and take these thoughts in. So 1 John chapter 2, we've settled in now and we'll we'll read together beginning in verse number 3. By this we know that we have come to know him. In other words, here's how you can know you're saved. If we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know... That we are in him. The one who says he abides in him. Ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved. I'm not writing a new commandment to you. But an old command. A commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand I'm writing a new commandment to you. Which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness is has blinded his eyes. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Holy Spirit of God, we are completely dependent upon you now to take these very strong words for us and help us to understand them and to live by them. In Jesus' name, amen. I've started every time asking you. I start again today. Uh, how do you answer this question? Are you 100, 100% certain? Not 90, not 99%. Are you 100% certain? assured, certain that you, if you die today, would go to heaven? This is a question that all of us must answer. We must answer it now while we're living before we face the time of our death. You may not have any time when your death day comes. We don't know how we'll die. The reality is we must be prepared to live for Jesus Christ and to die uh, for the Lord Jesus, whatever it may be. So we're continuing to think about being assured and we'll, we'll begin that process very detailed uh, next week. But we're again coming back to John who reminds us in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 of the danger of false assurance. And today we talk about false assurance based on self-deceit. So the focal truth that I've given you there is uh, for you on the screen. And this will, be the, this will be the focus of my comments today. A lot of things we can say from these verses. Today we look at the, the, uh, the, the hard side of what it means not to have assurance of salvation. Next week we begin the good side, the wonderful joy of thinking about blessed assurance. But again, one more week we talk about the danger of false assurance. So here's the focal truth. The self-deceived, those who are self-righteous, those who are self-assured that they're saved, but they're not. Those who are self-righteous, though they're not righteous, are self-deceived. And the self-deceived, John teaches us here, live in false assurance. And they say that they know God. They're saved. They know God. They have a relationship with God. But they disobey God's word, his commands. And they demonstrate it, John teaches us here, through their hatred for other people. So the self-deceived live in false assurance. They say they're saved. Oh, I'm saved, oh, I know God, I know God. I sing songs, I praise God, I I, I know God, but I don't obey God's word. I live kind of my own lifestyle. I'm actually a hypocrite. I say something out, out with my mouth but my life doesn't match it, and I also live in hatred of other people. You see, these three qualities, my friends, as I begin, are based on verse number four, the last phrase. If you say that you know him and you don't do his commandments, basically it reads like this, you're lying and the truth is not in you. That's self-deception. That's self-deception. Oh, the danger of being self-deceived. The danger of talking yourself into a relationship with God when you really don't have one. Oh, the danger of saying I'm all right as a Christian when you know that you've slipped back into sin. And you deceive yourself. You say words to yourself. You turn them over in your mind. But there is a disconnection between your words and your actions. You see, my dear friends, and this is an urgent matter. I wish I could elaborate more, but I can't. But you see, these three, these three qualities we've focused on over the last three weeks, this matter of, of uh, self-assurance and self-righteousness and now self-deceit, why, that's the foundation of hypocrisy. You know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is someone who has self-assurance that they're saved when they're not because their words don't match what they do. They have a self-righteousness and a smugness that they're better than other people. Because they know some things, though they're not right with God. And then it's all based on self-deceit. I'll also warn you of this. This is is how you become a Pharisee. This is how you become a Pharisee. You see, you have in your mind this self-deception. And this self-deception leads you to a form of self-righteousness. What did Paul say? You have a form of godliness, but there's no power. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to somebody else. So this becomes very important for your relationship with God. You see, so am I saved, Pastor Mike? Well, there there are some ways you can determine that. And there are also some ways you can determine that you're a hypocrite and you're still in your sins and you're not saved. And here we see it, the danger of self-deception, believing that I am saved, I don't obey God's word, I don't obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have my own separate lifestyle, sinful lifestyle still, and I hate other people. So let's get to these observations for a moment together. Number one, the self, I'm going to look at, I'm going to highlight uh, three verses out of these words we've read. Next week, I'm warning ahead of time, you, if, you, if you're back with us, I'll be in First John uh, chapter 2 again, and we'll take the other side about how we can be assured of our salvation based on our obedience to God. But today, we we look at this side. Verse number four, let's read it again. Note number one. The self-deceived say they know God, but they disobey his commandments. Verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is lying and the truth is not in him. Number 2. The self-deceived say they live in God's light, but they hate other people. Verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Number 3. We see that the self-deceived live, they live a lifestyle in the darkness of sin and they're blinded by their hatred for other people. We read it in verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now let's get to it. First of all, we read verse number 4. The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Well, you see, this is self-deception because the Lord Jesus has made clear what he has commanded us to do as his followers. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say Jesus is Lord, that means you submit to his lordship. You submit to his authority. You submit to his words and you've now become, listen, a follower and practicer Of those words I'll give you only today for the sake of time two examples that build on this matter of love and hate John was a man who knew what it was like to be a hater why John's the very one in the gospel he was called his nickname sons of Thunder he was a man given to anger the Apostle John the man who wrote these words in fact on one occasion he was so hot he was so angry The Lord had preached in this village and nobody even listened. They didn't even pay any attention to the words of the precious Lord Jesus Christ. And he and his brother came alongside the Lord and said, why don't you just send fire down and evaporate this place? It's really in your Bible. I'm not making this up. Yeah, just burn them all up. He was a man given to anger. He was a man who understood this emotion. And yet when he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and saw the glorious love and power of God, the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, he was changed and saved. And more than any other apostle, he speaks of this matter of love and hate. And we must what a perfect day it is for us to talk about this in a hate-filled, hateful world. I don't have to stand and give you current events. I don't have to give you quotes. You see hatefulness and hate at your job. You hear it in the halls. Go stand at Kroger when you're waiting for one of those two or three lines with all those people in there and just look at the people around and how miserable, how hateful, how bitter, how angry people are all around. Just listen to what they say. Listen to what you can uh, listen to on the internet oh my or you can get on your favorite podcast of your special person that you like to be influenced by Oh, the world will teach you to hate we already have it in us by nature to be haters when we're born into this world and all oh, the world will teach you to hate boys and girls today you learn about hate and the danger of hate that keeps you from a relationship with God You see, when I get saved, just like John the apostle, I do away with my hatefulness. I do away with my hatred and I become a lover of God and a lover of other people. Here's what the Lord Jesus said. You have heard um, Matthew five. Those of you take notes, you know, these words, Matthew five, 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, here's what the world says. Here's what the religious world of Jesus was saying. Love your neighbor. Don't you love your neighbor? Oh, they're so sweet. Your neighbor, you know, they're the ones that agree with you. You run together, your buddies, your pals, your neighbor. You love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, but here's what was said of old: hate your enemies. Wait a minute, but the Lord says, but I say to you, disciple, follower of Christian, love your enemies. Three words that have an entire lifestyle behind them. Love your enemies. Wait a minute. Love my enemies. Yes, the people who abuse you, who have done terrible things to you, who some of them would like to kill you and discredit you and destroy you. Love those people. Love them. Love them and pray for those who despitefully, that's hatred, use and abuse you. The second of the Lord's commands is in John 13, 34. He's been washing the disciples' feet. And what does he say? It's famous. These are famous words. These are the words John's going to build a lot of what we're going to talk about. I'm giving you ahead of time. There's a lot to be said to us about loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And oh, by the way, loving the world. We don't always sound like that in the church about the world and about our perception of how we're to treat them if we're going to share the gospel with them. But the Lord says, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you. You follower of Jesus today? This is our command. This is what we, this is what you bow your knee and obey. Oh, I sing praise to the Lord, but will I follow him? Will I do what he says for me to do? Oh Lord, I love you. Okay. Then here's what he says A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You see, the self deceived live in hypocrisy, saying, They say, I have come to know him, but they disobey him. They do not deny themselves. They do not follow Jesus. They disobey his word. They do not draw near. They they judge other people. They refuse to forgive others of their offenses. They will not turn the, the cheek. They will not give to those who ask freely. Without some kind of bitterness in their life, they will not obey the commands of the Lord to love other people. You don't love them if they're good enough. You don't love them if they agree with you. You love them despite who they are. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love love does not hold offenses. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. That's love. Love. That's what you and I are to do. Oh, you know, somebody said, well, you know, I've just got a responsibility to love the church people. No, you've got to love everybody. You've got to love everybody. And you see, there are some in our assembly. There are some in the church today. There are preachers and others who seem to minimize the love of God that we're to show through Jesus Christ as if some weak matter. As if it's a weakness to love other people. Let me tell you what is the greatest demonstration of your Spiritual strength, if you're willing to love those who hate you. You want to see how strong your faith is in God? You see, Pharisees run with each other because everybody agrees with each other, and they have a lot of hate in their life. So, here we see this first principle. What did the Lord say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 7. He says, everyone, boys and girls, we, we sing this as a song. Now, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Don't fear. Don't run out. Everyone who hears these words, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, but the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rain came down and the floods came up and the rain came down and the flood. I went to, I went to Sunday school. And when the rain came down and the floods came up and the wind blew and slammed against the house, that's what the world is like. It'll always be this way. Rain coming down, floods coming, winds blowing, slamming against the house. Well, the man who did not act upon the words of the Lord Jesus, his house fell down. That's why some are in the condition they're in. They have not obeyed God's word through the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought of it as, well, the Lord was so kind and gentle. He's giving me some suggestions. No, he's giving you commands. Don't say he is Lord If you will not obey his commands, he is not. You see, it was very clear in the world in which these words were said and lordship was first started. You see, the Roman government was all around. You say, you have lords, Caesar is lord. You have lords, you have all the commanders. You do what they say to death, you obey. You obey. But now we find John moving on. He says, "Not only are you self-deceived if you say you know God, but you disobey His word, and we'll say more about this next week. But secondly, the self-deceived say they live in God's light, but they hate other people. Oh, this matter of hatred has spilled over. It's everywhere. What well, it shows up in the church house? Doesn't always happen in, in, in this big room.. Happens in the hall back out in the parking lot. In some back room where somebody wants to take somebody aside and fill them with all of their hatefulness and their hating. Happens in the church house. Happens at work, as I've said. Happens at home. Happens at home where you have families who have spoken to each other for years. And they're teaching their children to be haters. And they're teaching their children how to be hateful. There's something wrong here. There's been a miscommunication of the truth of God's Word. When we would seek to live like this. So now we see the self-deceived. They say, they want up it. Not only do they know God, I walk in the light. Why well, I don't have any secrets. Okay, that's good. That's what you're supposed to do. We read last week. Verse number 7 of chapter 1. If we walk in the light as He's in the light, guess what? We have fellowship with one another. No hating going on. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Well, let's think about this now for a moment. The self-deceived practice ungodliness while they confess holiness. And the self-deceived are haters like Cain. So how are we going to model this? How How do we come to understand hatred? And the importance, you see, John links disobedience first with hatred or love. Well, today we're going to have to talk about hatred for a moment. And we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to look at two stories. Two examples of two who who were haters and murderers and liars. So that we might all examine ourselves and say, verse number number, uh, nine here. If I'm saying that I'm in the light, yet I'm hating my brother, I'm in the darkness until now. John's saying, if you're saying you're a Christian and you're hating, hating your practice and your lifestyles to hate your brothers, hate someone else, you're still unsaved. Well, how do I know if I'm saved? What I know, okay, I'm about to give you some Bible knowledge here. These words are based upon what John heard from the Lord Jesus and changed his life. So here we all come in here. We all come in here. Whether we're either, we're either lovers or haters. What's in your soul today, I'm asking you, my dear brothers and sisters. So we look at Cain. So I'd like for you to keep your place in First John. And I want you to all find your place in your Bible, if you have it. And I hope you have your copy of God's Word. The book of Genesis, just real quickly. I won't spend long here, but I want you to see this. Because here we have an example of Cain. And oh, by the way, I should read it to you. So what does John say about Cain, First John Sorry, I'm getting you confused here. But in 1 John 3.12, John the apostle says, For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, not as Cain, 1 John 3.12, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. He murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So John makes this comment about Cain. Now we go to Genesis chapter number four. And we read these words beginning uh, in uh, in verse number two. And uh, these are the first children of Adam and Eve. Again, she gave birth to her brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the flocks and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part brought of the firstlings of his flock Of their fat portion. That is, he brought brought a blood sacrifice, which was according to what God had taught Adam and Eve. This was already, we don't have all of this detail, but we see this and learn it from Genesis. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, verse 5, Genesis 4 5. But Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. God did not receive the sacrifice of Cain. So, what did Cain do? He became angry with God. And he, his countenance fell. He became angry with God and he was sad with how God had not received his sacrifice. Oh, there are a lot of people in the world mad at God. I've been a pastor a long time. I've sat with people in their deep grief and when you get past all of it and you unlayer it, you know they're really mad at? They're mad at God. They're mad at God the way it seems like life has fallen out for them. They're mad at God because it seems like it should have been better for them. They they have false understanding of the truth of God and and His love for them and His patience and His grace. And oh, because of that, they are mad at God. And the Lord says to Cain, oh, how God asks good questions. Here's a question for some of you who may be like Cain today. Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why do you seethe in anger? Why is it in your soul, in your mind, you are gripped and controlled by anger and malice and hate and hatefulness? God says, why are you angry, Uh, Caleb? uh, Excuse me, Cain. Why are you angry? And his countenance fell. And he said, why why are you sad? Look at verse 7. Here's the grace of God, even to Cain. If you do well, your your countenance, your face will be lifted up. You'll, You'll have joy. You'll have happiness. But if you do not do well, listen to us all here. If you do not do well sin is crouching at the door. Oh, sin crouches at the door. The angry man or woman, sin crouches at the door. You don't want to live in a condition of anger, my friend. You don't want to allow the toxic nature of anger to eat away at your soul and your mind and get inside of you. It's like sin crouching about to jump on you. You see, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you and you must master it. Yes, that's what we do. We kill sin every day or sin kills us who are Christians. Cain so Cain told his brother what God had said in verse 8. And it came about as they we don't know the whole discussion, it came about when they were in a field, nobody else was around. Just Cain and Abel. Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? He asked another question. And look at the lie. I don't know. And then look at the arrogance. Am I to God? Am I my brother's keeper? There may be some of you today who are just like Cain. As John says, he was of the evil one because the devil is just the same. There's someone, there is a being fallen and rebellious toward God who lurks to destroy you and hate you. And those of you who are in your sins, he loves that you are in bondage to him and believe his lies because he'll take you to hell with him. He hates you and will never love you. And for those of you who are saved, he hates you and you have a mark on you. But you are not one that he can touch, praise God. But the devil is the hater and murderer of all. And Cain was just like him. Angry, hateful, jealous, a murderer, hating God. Cain, indeed, he murdered his brother. His deeds were evil, as John says. And guess what he does? Here's the sad, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible about what is the fate of a man who will live his life and die as a hater. Genesis 4:16 then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden. Do you know what the Hebrew word Nod means? It means wandering. And here's a man ...who lived his life and anger drove him... ...and he was in the darkness and wondered in his hatred... ...his seething hatred all of his days... ...and if you do not deal with your anger... ...if you do not come to Jesus Christ... ...and you somehow take some kind of religious commitment... ...and you think that's enough but it doesn't change your hatred... ...and you carry hatred into your life and you become a religious hater... You're still in your sins and you are, you are going to drift and walk and practice all of your life. A hateful, hating relationship. Listen to these words. I must read them to you from Titus 3.3. Here's what Paul says about what happens when you get saved. Titus 3.3. We once, I'm talking to every Christian in this room. Listen, we once were foolish, disobedient, Deceived and enslaved. Sounds like a good sermon. What is, it, what's, what is it like to be unsaved? What is it like to be lost without Christ? Titus 3.3 3. Foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved to the lusts and pleasures of life. Spending our lives. You know you're spending your life today here? part of your life will be gone when you leave this place. Half of your day will be gone never to have it again. you're spending your life. How are you spending your life? Spending our lives in malice this is what we were like when we were, we were not saved. we spent our lives in malice and in envy Now I'm going to read I'm going to read a phrase here I want you to hear it hateful. And hating one another. There's no better description that could be given for what I'm talking about. Than being hateful and hating. And the world's filled with it. And the church is no place for it. Hateful and hating. Hateful and hating. Hateful and hating because of anger, jealousy and superiority. And self-assurance and self-righteousness. Hateful and hating because someone has a disagreement with us, or we don't like the way they look, or the way they talk, or their politics, or what they say. They live in another country. They speak another language. Self-hating because of our self-centeredness. Self-hating, hateful and hating because of the sinfulness. First John three fifteen says it's right here. You can just flip to it. I want you to mark it down. Mark it down. First John three fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I'm asking you today to confront the reality of hatefulness. I've actually had somebody in our church tell me. Well, Pastor Mike, you know, I'm old. I have a right to be hateful. Are you serious? So I've never found anywhere in the Bible that when when you get your AARP card, you have the right to be a mean person. And an ugly person, and a hateful person, and a rude person, and an unkind person. Should I go on for all my old timers in here with me? No, you have no right to be angry. You have no right to be a hater. You're saved. Turn in your hatred for the love of God, for Jesus Christ, and for other people. That's what we do. We turn ourselves over to the Lord, and we bring our hatefulness into the light hatefulness and hater well look if you're having a bad day and you're sick stay home and get better your family would appreciate it i'm I'm saying you know a lot of your work your fellow workers hateful and hating i expect it out of the world i expect it out of the lost but out of god's people hateful and hating hateful and hating brother scott somebody needs to write a song on that hateful and hating now number three the self-deceived live in the darkness of sin blinded by their hate we're going to finish this because you need to hear this today this is the sad this is the sad point about hatred hatred is a world of darkness hatred is a lifestyle of darkness hatred blinds and confuses the minds of those who are haters and I'm going to give you now if you'll turn in your Bible to second Samuel another example of one who 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 fulfills and embodies verse number 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because of the darkness has blinded him. 2 Samuel 13. I have to elaborate on this for just a moment, and it's important for us to hear God's word today. 2 Samuel chapter 13. This is the story of Amnon, who was a son of David, the king. Tamar, who was a daughter of king David and Absalom, who was a son of King David. What does John say? But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. Number one, in the darkness. Number two, walking in the darkness. That is a lifestyle of in the darkness and sin, not, 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 not a saved person in the darkness and does not know where they're going in the darkness because guess what? The darkness has blinded their eyes. And I say more specifically, the hatred has blinded their eyes. So Amnon loved his sister Tamar in a, in a non-brother-sister way. He had, he, had a, he had a desire to have sex with his sister. And he did all kinds of things to trick her into this. Finally, he does it. I'm not going to read all of it. We don't have time in 2 Samuel 13. But then we read these sad words, horrible words, in verse number 14, 2 Samuel 13, 14. However, Amnon would not listen to Tamar, who appealed, please don't do this. Uh, please don't, uh, you know, have sex with me. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. So Amnon, the brother of Tamar, has sex with his sister. She is disgraced, she is broken, she is hurt. He throws her out of his house as soon as he finishes this sexual act. She goes and she sadly finds her way back in her brokenness to her brother Absalom, whom she was close to. And we read in verse number 20 at the end, so Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. So for all of those days going forward, Absalom sees the pain, the horror The bitterness, the awfulness of what his sister Tamar has experienced from his brother and hers, Amnon. Well, King David was very angry, but that was the end of it. He didn't do anything. Verse 21. Verse 22. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad. He just didn't speak to him. For Absalom hated Amnon. Because he had violated his sister Tamar. Got a real problem here in the family. Terrible problem. And it came about after two full years. Verse 23. That Absalom uh, had sheep shearers in Behazor and, and, and Ephraim. Which is near Ephraim. And he invited all the king's sons. He had a party. Brought all the king's sons over. And he had his men plot and l- carry out revenge His hatred led to murder. And in verse number 32, the friend of David, the brother of David says, do not let my Lord suppose that they put to death all the young men, the king's son, for Amnon alone is dead because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day that he violated his sister Tamar. Absalom kills his brother if we could read the rest of the story, because of the anger that Absalom had in his life about the inaction of his father. I believe this with all of my heart. You can read it through and find it. It's very clear. Though he appeared before King David and he bowed and did what was respectful, they did not reconcile. He did not talk to his father about it and his anger seethed till finally he decided to kill his father and take over the kingdom. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. It will take you. Anger and hatred will take you farther into the darkness. You won't know where you're going or what you're going to do or how you will harm and destroy others because hatred is destroying you. You see the marks of self-deceived haters? They disobey the commandments of God. They don't care what the Bible says because of all the circumstances they've endured. They're mad at God. They're driven by anger and rage and they never get over it. It seems to grow. They're self-centered in their delusion of what they're thinking about. They learn to hate from the world and from their own soul and the devil feeds into it. They seek to murder the life and reputation of others. You may not kill someone physically with your hatred, but you can destroy their life and their character and their reputation. They seek to steal what belongs to others and they destroy the lives of others rather than giving matters to God to deal with in His own way of vengeance. And they seek to destroy the life of others and they hate God. Self-deceit produces liars and haters. You want to know what you're going to get from talking yourself into you're okay to be a sinner in the way you're living in your sin? God won't really care. He's gracious. He loves. He'll kind of put up with it. It's going to lead you to it's going to lead you to be a liar and a hater. And self-deceit produces public deceit. Proverbs 12, 12, 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. So I have a question for those. I have a couple of questions for those of you who are haters. Who may hear this electronically or some other means. Or you may be in this room today. Do you keep a list of people you hate? Oh, now Pastor Mike, I don't have it on my phone, but it's in your mind, isn't it? Do you have a list of people you hate? Then you're a hater. You're a hater. Then you must determine, am I saved and I'm falling back into hatred? Or am I living and practicing a lifestyle of hatred like I've had from my birth and I've never been saved from it? Do you have a list of people you hate? You know, if you see them, you're certainly not going to meet up with them. You're going to avoid them. You're going to spend your time talking about them. You're going to seek to discredit them and destroy their character, their family, whatever you have to do. Because you hate them. You want them gone. Because you're the center of the world. You're God. My first question is, do you have a list of people you hate? Number two, do you enjoy hating people? Do you like it? You know, you finish your day, you wake up in the morning and that person's on your mind. You hate them already. You despise them. And you go through your day and you're busy with everything. And then lo and behold, you get home at night. and Your mind has a chance to calm a little bit. And all of a sudden, they're back on your mind and you hate them some more. You hate them in the morning. You hate them at night. You don't ever talk to God about your hatred and how it ought to convict you. You like it. You enjoy it. You relish in it. You soak it up. Boys and girls, this can happen to you at your school. This can happen to you with friends. This can happen to you in family. This can happen at your job. You hate them. And you enjoy hating them. And finally, I would simply ask you this. So what does that tell you about your soul? You see, John's making it very clear to us today that the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. John's making it very clear to us today that if I'm in the darkness, I'm not in a saved condition. I'm, I'm blinded by it. I'm blinded by my hatred. I'm living in it. And because of that, I am not living for God. Well, I must read this to you so that you hear it in second, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I read it before. And you know no murderer has eternal life. But as we read, we read these words, I also read to you 1 John 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. You want to know the difference between the saved and the lost, John says? You want to know the obvious way? It's right here, 1 John 3, 10. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. No doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible, what kind of offices you hold in the church, what you do, how long you've been here, what your family's all about, religiously. If you don't obey the word of God and practice the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not saved. John says that you're a child of the devil. You're still born in the old natural, the old sin nature, and... I'm going to read it again. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So today, we read these wonderful, wonderful words of promise, which we'll come back to next week. Whoever, 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word. In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. So what do we need to remember today? Remember, my friend, I've tried to warn disobedience to God and hatred for others are marks of the unsaved and the self-deceived. The self-deceived falsely assure themselves that they're saved and they're okay with God, though they remain in their sin and they live in their hate. That's false. That's deceit. That is self-deceit that will lead you to the judgment of God and separation from God at death. Put aside your self-deceit and come to Jesus. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. And finally, how do I do this? Oh, if I have hatred that has risen up in my life as a believer. You know what John says at the beginning of 1 John 2, which is so good for me and for all of us. I'm writing these things, verse 1, so that you may not sin. And if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. I if I fall into hatred, you know what I do? I bring it back into the light. And I say to the Lord, here's why I've hated this person. Here's why I've done it. I've con- I'm confessing my sin of hatred and I'm giving it to you. That's what we do. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, that includes hatred. You're not justified to be a hateful person as, as a saved person. What, how you ju- You're self-justifying it. You're talking to yourself, trying to make an excuse for why you're going to harbor hatred. This may be keeping you more than anything else from you growing and having victory in your life. I've often scratched my head at some who say they love Jesus and yet carry years of seething anger and hatred for other people all the days of their life when you confess this and put it in the light, you will be a relieved person. You will experience the flood of the love of God coming and taking the place of this. God loves us when we admit our sin. God loves us even when we're in our sin. But God waits for us because this is the joy that comes. This is why first, it's where we started. It's where we're going to come back. This is why This statement of assurance, and I'm closing with this, this statement of assurance is so important in 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God loves hateful, hating sinners. And God forgives hateful and hating sinners. While the world continues to grow in hatred to the point of wars and killings and murders, while hatred rises all around us, we are those who love. We love even as we have been loved. And for that, the gospel advances and the glory of God comes to the praise of the glory of His grace. I remind you today in a world filled with hatred... It's not going to end well. The Lord is near to the door. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus.